Welcome to Strength Roots Podcast, presented by Hyperthrive Athletics, where we dissect the mindsets, stories, habits, and tactics of elite performers. Strength Roots Podcast, the growth starts here. What's going on, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Strength Roots Podcast, presented by Hyperthrive Athletics. My name is Aaron, I'm one of your hosts of the show, and on this week's episode, we sit down with Shane Wallen, who's the head strength coach of the Chicago Cubs. Prior to joining the Cubs organization, he was an assistant with the Cleveland Browns and then an assistant with the San Francisco 49ers. So he's been a part of a couple great staffs and has really good experience on the strength and conditioning side. But outside of that, he's just a really good human being. He's a great leader. He has really good people skills and communication skills, and I really think that's helped him get to where he is in his career today. As we dig into a story, you hear about a lot of the adversity that he dealt with growing up, which obviously has shaped him into who he is. Um, He's tenacious after going after what he wants. He sets big goals. Um, So he has a lot to offer on the mindset side and just how to pursue things that you want in your life. So I, I encourage you to listen intently, take some notes, and without further ado, here's our episode with Shane Wallen. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Strength Roots podcast. Today, we have Shane Wallen with the Chicago Cubs. Um, we're hopping on a Zoom call, obviously, with everything going on. Can't necessarily be in the uh, the same room as people, but we're doing our best to keep the content coming for you guys. So welcome, Shane, to the Strength Roots podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the time and, and uh, looking forward to talking some shop and and catching up yeah definitely yeah so i guess we've known each other for a couple years now met at the um when you're still with the 49ers met at the hammer strength conference there so um, we've kept in touch over social media and um, we had the opportunity to visit shane when we were down at spring training um showed us around his beautiful facilities there with the cubs so we appreciate that um but with with this podcast really what we like to do is bring it kind of all the way back and let you tell your story um, and how that eventually led into where you are at your career and where you are with family and everything. So um, first off, you know, where'd you grow up? Uh, What was family life like? What was kind of childhood like? What were you like as a kid? So kind of fill us in on the uh, the beginning of the story there. Yeah, man. Um, Growing up, uh, I was, I mean, my first love was baseball. So I was a big sports kid, um, played baseball, played basketball, didn't play football till I played like one year of pop Warner and then ended up stopped playing until my sophomore year of high school. But, um, we, I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my dad actually grew up or he, my, my parents were divorced. So, uh, my mom lived like out in the, out in the country or the boonies as you call it. Um, my dad lived in paradise. Um, which two years ago that that whole city kind of got burned down in, in the campfire and we actually lost our our childhood home there um but yeah uh grew up didn't really have any money like that kind of deal i mean um didn't travel anywhere didn't really get to do anything super fun all we really had was sports and uh, and school so um you know always a pretty good student decent athlete um wasn't uh, wasn't the most popular kid growing up, kind of got picked on quite a bit. Um, and that's when I kind of, uh, took to the weight room. So I was tired of getting kind of like bullied and picked on. And, um, you know, me and my, I have a twin brother 
And, uh, we had this big red barn out of my mom's house and we decided one day our freshman year, we're like, we're not going to play football because we're so small. <clears throat> we were both about like, I was like five, four, 120 pounds. He was probably five, three, 110, 115 pounds. So we decided we were just going to train and work out every day for like two hours in our big red barn. Like we had a Bowflex in there. We saved up our money and like bought a little bench with uh, a bar and some weights and like every day for two hours, we go out there and just get after it. So, um, came back sophomore year. I had a pretty big growth spurt. So did my brother, I was about five, nine and I put on about 50 pounds. So I was about 160, 165. Um, and then I, you know, went out and played football. And by this time, like I was more or less addicted to, to the iron, I guess you would say I was, uh, I was a, I was a guy who'd work out during, you know, sixth or seventh period, like right before football practice started football practice ago. Then I'd go finish my workout after football practice at the local gym. So I was pretty, pretty deep in by that point. Um, kind of started to, to realize what I kind of wanted to do with my life. And it, I knew it had something to do with, um, training, didn't know exactly, uh, whether that was going to be strength conditioning, personal training, wh whatever it may be. Um, but, um, and then around my senior year, um, my, my mom had had health issues her whole life. Basically she was, uh, hemochromatic, which is iron overload of the blood. Um, and if you catch it in time, it's really not a big deal. You just go, you're blood drained every couple months, but they didn't, uh, they didn't catch it in time with her. So she had a lot of like organ damage um when she was in the hospital 20 28 she was double pneumonia and pleurisy and they they finally found out she had it so usually that's something that needs to be diagnosed by the time you're 18 and by that time like i said there had been extensive organ damage already and stuff like that so they kind of told her like you wouldn't live past 50 and she had a lot of health issues so um she by my senior year she had battled cancer twice um and the second time, um, she was actually for the couple months of my senior year, uh, was down at UCSF, um, in, uh, cause she had her entire throat replaced with part of her, or her entire esophagus was, was replaced with part of her intestine. So major surgery, she was in the hospital, like recovering from that for two or three months while my brother and I were just kind of like at home hanging out and, and going to school, uh, kind of like fending for ourselves. My stepdad was sleeping in the parking lot in my mom's minivan down there because as you guys know, Bay area is crazy expensive. So, um, we, we couldn't really afford a hotel or, or a place to live down there. So, um, so that was kind of like growing up, you know, we, we, it, it kind of forced us to grow up real quick, um, and kind of like take care of ourselves, um, which I wouldn't, you know, change the world for, for any of those experiences. It was, it was tough, but I think it's kind of, um, part of why I'm at where I'm at today and who I am. So, um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, she, she got back and her health still wasn't really all there. Um, it was actually kind of declining, even it was getting worse. And so they took her back in for, uh, more scans and stuff like that. And, and then that's when they, this is my freshman year in college. By this point, I, you know, I was out of Butte college, our junior college playing football. 
Um, it's right before the season starts and all that stuff. And they had diagnosed her terminal. So they gave her like four to six months, um, to live. And, you know, I think as you guys know, like your parents raise you and take care of you and, you know, until you move out of the house. And, uh, for me, I knew I wasn't going to make a career out of football. I wasn't going to go to the league. I was realistic about my chances in that area. So, um, but the one thing my mom always stressed was education. So, cause I, I was going to be the first in my, in my family to graduate. So, um, I knew I wasn't going to give that up. So the next thing was going to be football because, uh, you know, I had to, I had to go work, support myself. So, um, I picked up three jobs. I, I, I held my cleats up, uh, went out and told the coach what was going on and just kind of said like, Hey, this is more important to me right now. Like I got to take care of my mom. I want to, you know, spend time with her and, you know, she ain't going to be here that much longer. So, um, so that's what I did. Uh, went and saw her every day that I could, um, in between work and school and stuff like that. And then July 4th, 2012, she passed away. Um, which was my going into my second year, the summer of my second year, going into my second year of college. So, um, once that happened, uh, definitely tough. Um, but I stayed busy, kept working, kept going to school, which definitely helped. Um, and then that's when I kind of decided what I wanted to like a hundred percent. I was like, this is what I want to do. And I, kind of given up on, you know, bringing my cleats back out and playing again. I was kind of past that point already, but I was like, man, being a strength and conditioning coach, it's like the closest thing I can get to being back on the field again. And like being in that atmosphere, that environment. So I went out to my junior college, talked to the head coach and said, Hey, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I think I can help you guys. Um, so I basically volunteered, um, as a strength coach there. Um, and that was in 2012, 13. And that's when we won the national championship. We went 13 and 0 and, uh, and won it all. Technically, I, I think it's a state championship, but like they say that California's got the best junior colleges. So they call it the national title too. So, um, but yeah, after that, I was like, all right, I want to do this at the next level. Um, Chico state, as you guys know, doesn't have a football program not really big into sports. So I wanted to go somewhere like D one sports, big college. So I kind of started applying, um, all over the place, mostly on the West coast. Um, and I had a contact at Oregon state, uh, a guy by the name to name of Brian Miller. Um, he was a head football strength coach. Um, I'd reached out to him and Jeff Macy, who was the director of Olympic sports both still, uh, big mentors of mine and guys I still keep in, keep in touch to this day. Um, they, uh, I got a hold of Brian. He told me to come up. So I drove eight hours up to Corvallis interviewed, uh, basically the whole day. And by the end of the day, he was like, yeah, thanks for coming up. We don't have a spot for you. So I'm like, okay. Like driving back eight hours. I'm pissed off, obviously. And, uh, you know, I call him again. He gives me another interview. I go up there again for a second interview, tells me the same thing. And I'm like, man, I'm offering this guy free help. Like I, I was just applying for an internship. You know, I wanted to finish my degree, do the internship, 
and then obviously get into the GA, do all that stuff, um, take that traditional route as a strength coach. And uh, so, yeah, he turned me down again. So by this time I was, I was driving back again and I'm, I'm really upset. I don't understand. And, uh, you know, I just need an in, you know, I, I need my foot in the door somewhere. So, um, I actually just, I, I ended up applying to Oregon state. I got accepted the following day and, um, and then started looking at housing. So once I found a place to live, um, I called Brian Miller and said, Hey, uh, I just got accepted and I just enrolled and I just found a place to live. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And he didn't really, he didn't really know what to say. So, um, I got up there about two weeks before the, the winter term started and I just walked in and just started cleaning shit. Like I was like picking up dumbbells, stocking the fridges, wiping down plates, wiping down bars. Like I was doing anything the other interns were asking me to do. And I was just like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. And this is on like a Monday. So by Friday, he finally comes up to me and goes like, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, dude, just give me a job. Like, tell me I can work. Like, and so he's like, all right, go get your internship paper signed, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I ended up being his, his guy. I was, I was like the, him and myself and Eric Jernstrom, who, who is a good buddy of mine. We ended up both being like, kind of like the lead interns for that program. And, uh, and the rest was history. Like we're, like I said, we're still pretty close to this day. And, um, but then, uh, that whole staff kind of got let go when, uh, Gary Anderson came in from Wisconsin. So Mike Riley's staff left, they went to Nebraska. Um, and my mentor, Brian had gone to the Navy Naval Academy out in Maryland. Um, and you know, there's a whole new staff in, so, I was in pretty good shape. I was still running. I was still lifting, obviously. Um, I was about 230 pounds. Uh, the coach came up to me and just asked me if I wanted to walk on and play. And, and that was my dream. Like I wanted to play division one football. So, um, he goes like, you got any film? Like what, what'd you play in high school? And I said, no, I don't even know where my film is, but, um, I was like, I know I can play. And, He's like, well, what'd you play? I said receiver. And he's like, well, you're a little too big for receiver. Let's put you at running back. But I also need you to lose about 25, 30 pounds. I was like, all right. So I lost about 25, 30 pounds in three months. And then, uh, went out there spring ball, um, and fall camp, earned a scholarship and, and played my, my final year of eligibility at Oregon state. Um, and then, once I was done there, I, I got back in the, in the weight room, just volunteering, helping out, uh, working with like six to eight sports. Um, basically that was all I had left was like one or two online classes. And then I was just doing internships. So I was just in the weight room all day. Um, and I was applying to, you know, uh, I was applying to paid internships, unpaid internships, graduate assistant positions. Um, and a part of that process for me was, I got on LinkedIn and basically reached out to every head strength coach in the NFL, NBA, MLB, uh, probably six, seven, eight guys probably got back to me. One of those guys was, uh, Adam Beard, who's my boss now. Um, at the time he was with the Cleveland Browns. He was the director of high performance. Um, 
he hadn't got, he didn't get back to me for like two or three months after I'd sent him the message, but his intern had left for a full-time job with the Texans. So he reached out and was just like, Hey, are you still interested? And I'm like, yeah. So like he gets me on the phone that day. We talked for about 10 or 15 minutes and he's like, when can I fly you out? Like, I want to, I want to, uh, interview, interview you in person. And I was like, man, whenever, like whenever I'm, I'm free the rest of the week, weekend, next week, whatever, I'll I'll make it work. And he goes, how about tomorrow at 6am? So I drove down to Portland Friday night, flew out Saturday morning, uh, and, uh, got there Saturday night, interviewed Sunday morning and, and got the job right there on the spot. Uh, and he said, I need you back here full time next week, next weekend. So, um, and I was like, man, I still have five weeks of school left. I don't know how this is going to happen, but my answer was just like, all right, sounds good. Like, you know, I'll figure it out later. Can't say no to the guy. So, and the opportunity. So I, I went back to Corvallis, packed all my stuff up, um, talked to my bosses in the weight room. Um, and I talked to my, uh, counselor and they kind of like, let me finish everything online. And, and, um, you know, I'd done so many internship hours. It was like, there's no reason those guys would let me go. Um, so made it work. I moved out there. Uh, I was a, a, a paid intern for the Browns for two years. Um, and then earned a full-time spot in 2018 with the 49ers, which is when I initially met all three of you guys. Um, I knew who you guys were though. Uh, from did all three of you guys go to Chico state? Joe was on mute. Me and me and Joe, uh, both went on. You guys went to Chico state. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I got a full-time job with the Niners. Uh, I worked there one season, 2018, uh, made a lot of good connections, relationships that I still, um, have to this day that the, the new head guy, Dustin Perry is a good friend of mine, Mike Nicolini, who's the first assistant, still a good friend of mine. Um, and even, you know, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, all those guys are, are very, very good people. They run that organization the right way. So, um, but I had an opportunity here with the Cubs. My boss from, from the Browns had accepted the same role with the Chicago Cubs. And he asked me to, to come in and give him a hand on the strength conditioning side. And, um, this past off season, uh, in January, I was promoted to the, to the head strength conditioning coach for the major league squad. So it's been a, it's been a crazy couple years, but, um, man, I, I feel like my journey's just getting started. So, hmm. Ain't sure. that the truth. going back to, um, kind of getting your, your opportunity with Oregon state, obviously like a couple interviews being rejected, um, you know, not being really sure if you were going to have an opportunity and just going ahead and applying and like getting on with the school, and then same kind of thing when you were trying to get your opportunity within a pro organization. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you're sending stuff out to the NFL, MLB, NBA, you probably sent out at least 50, uh, you know, emails or, or contact points. Have you always been good at um, like dealing with rejection or quote unquote failure? And like, how do you how do you deal with adversity? Man, um, that's a great question. And I could probably go on for a while, uh, answering that question, but to, to keep it shorter. Um, yeah, like I, I, I respond to failure, I think, um, or the way I respond to it or adversity is kind of like what tells my story. It's not like necessarily what I go through, 
that tells the story, but like how I kind of overcome it and deal with it. Um, and that, that goes, that goes back to like, you know, the whole situation with my mom, like a lot of people fold, a lot of people like go downhill. Like I don't see like when, when stuff like that kind of happens, like there's two roads you can take, right. There's the, like, I feel bad for myself. This is, this sucks road. Or there's the like, okay, now what, like, now what am I going to do to, to get myself back on track? Like, or what am I going to do to make this person proud or prove this person wrong? And for me, there's no two roads. It's just one. Like I've never seen that other side of the street. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean, my high school coaches told me I'd never play college football to my face, like laughed at me and said, you'll never play at Butte college or junior college. You know what I mean? And so like, I've had plenty of people in my life. I've had more people in my life who've doubted me than, than I have had believe in me. So it was nothing like, it was nothing new for me, like getting rejected or, you know, getting told no, or, but I think being, uh, persistent and believing in yourself, like that, that, that goes a long way. Um, and I think honestly, that's probably part of the reason I'm here now is, is because like, if you want something, you got to go get it. You got to bother people and you got to ask questions. And like, if they don't, if they don't answer your text or they don't answer your phone call, call them again or email them again or text them again until they answer. Like, cause eventually they're going to go like, what does this kid want? And then there's your chance. There's your foot in the door right there. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the biggest takeaway from responding to adversity is like, that should tell your story is how you respond to it. it is not, it's not like, it's not like what actually happened. Like, Oh, Shane's mom died. That's not the story. It's what, what happened after that? Like, how did he respond to that? Like, um, how did he overcome it? Um, and, and that's, to me, that's, that's what I want to, to, to tell my stories. Like, how did, how did I overcome it? What did I accomplish because of that? Yeah. And it's so funny because we actually um, just did a podcast with um, a lady named Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn. Um, She's a professor here at the University of Sac State. And, um, you know, she talked about she's an expert in post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny, like how many things in common you just said with what she talked about and, you know, not letting the event or the trauma define you, but like having hope and and making the decision to grow out of that. Um, so, I mean, you're just kind of proof of, you know, what all the research that she's done. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's, that's it right there for me is like, there's, I mean, people go through like, there's stuff that people hide, like you don't know they'd ever go through it, you know? And I think, I don't think it's people handle things differently. You know what I mean? But I'm not saying you should hide it. I'm not saying you shouldn't like people go through things, they handle things differently, but like, that's how I handled, you know, adversity for me. It was just like, you know, all right, like, so what's the next step? Like, what do I got to do to get back on track? Or like, what do I got to do to, to prove this person wrong? Or what do I got to do to, you know, make this person proud? And that's, I've always kind of kept that, that kind of mentality with everything that I've done. And, and every time someone's shot me down or, or told me no, or, you know, not believed in me, that's, like that's been my mentality from, from day one. Yeah. And also too, going back to what you said about, um, you know, looking at opportunities and not letting that first, you know, uh, rejection 
kind of, you know, define the situation. Cause I can look back at, you know, a lot of the big opportunities that I've had in my life. And it wasn't really like the first con, you know, if it, if it was somebody that I needed their help or whatever the case may be to put me in that situation, it wasn't always the first time I contacted them or talked to them or that first email or text that I sent that actually made the difference or, or, you know, got me in touch with that person. It's about, you know, coming back and being persistent not being like that annoying person, but doing it in a respectful way. But it's like, you know, it's not always the first time that you're going after something that's going to happen. It's, it's coming back and knowing when to, you know, reconnect with somebody or whatever the case may be that really, you know, ultimately puts you in the position that you want to be in. Right. And and stay like, not even reconnect, but like stay connected. Like, don't, I mean, like I could have easily, you know, when I left Cleveland and Adam Beard was still with Cleveland, I could have easily just stopped talking to him. Right. But I valued not only like his friendship, but I know I could like, despite me not seeing him every day, I could still learn from him and grow under him despite me not like actually working for him. And I valued that. So I stayed in touch with him. Like he's one of my, you know, he is my biggest mentor and he's one of my best friends. And, um, you know, like I stayed connected with him during that year that I was in San Francisco and I like, obviously it, it kind of paid off. Right. Because he goes to Chicago and who's the first person he calls like his intern that he had in Cleveland, you know? So it's like, I could have, like I said, I could have easily just not talked to him and gone like, all right, like, you know, I'm not in Cleveland anymore. I don't need to stay connected with those guys. And I probably wouldn't be here right now. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think it's about like, it's about that too, like valuing relationships, um, staying persistent, um, and staying in touch with the right people. Absolutely. What was the biggest learning curve for you going into pro sports? Uh, I mean, coming from like, a coming straight from like the college environment to the pro environment, probably just like how different the two are. Right. Um, with college being more like, a, especially now, the more rah-rah, like less coaching, more yelling uh, kind of environment that I thought was the norm. And actually probably in college it is, but um, it's not, it's not something I can get behind now. I'm like, I love professional sports because there's more coaching. There's more um, like, I don't know if you want to say one-on-one time, but you get more time with the athlete and it's not about like, breaking a two by four over your back and yelling at the guy until he can't, you know, he can't run or breathe anymore. It's like, there's actually, we make sense of training and how to train guys. And these guys at this level actually care about their training. A lot of them ask good questions. Um, but I, I would say probably the, the biggest difference is Obviously, like in college, you have a program for a guy and they're like, yes, sir, this is what I'm doing. NFL guys, MLB guys, they'll let you know if they don't want to do something like and it was like, how do you respond to that? You know, and then I guess the other thing, too, is like these guys are professionals. This is what they do for a living. So um, ultimately, they hold a lot of power. You know what I mean? Um, More so in the MLB than the NFL. But um, still, like really workouts are mandatory in the NFL or in the MLB. Like they don't have to do anything. So, um, that was a big difference too. And then just get like, you're dealing with grown men. You know what I mean? Like where in college you're dealing with like 
kids, like young men, like these dudes, I, I get to the NFL, I get to Cleveland. I'm like 22 years old and I'm looking up at Joe Thomas. Like I'm looking at Joe Hayden. I'm looking at RG three. I'm looking all, I'm like, I'm 22 years old and I'm like telling these guys what to do. Like it was a tough adjustment for me initially, you know what I mean? But I caught on pretty quick. You know, I kind of pride myself in, in making relationships pretty quick. And, um, but yeah, that was definitely a big adjustment. Would you say the biggest thing for kind of building that respect uh, with those players is just, uh, you know, the relationship side of things and kind of showing, you know, how much you care, but also in the same sense, like showing what you know as well. Like, how do you build respect with those kind of guys? Uh, I think it comes like you have to build the respect by getting the relationship first and then they'll listen to you. You know what I mean? Like, so you could be the smartest guy in the room and you could, you could know way more, like you know what you're talking about more than the guy next to you. But if they don't respect you and they don't like you, they're not going to listen to you. So that like the relationship kind of comes first. Um, and like, I think you just build that slowly over time. It, it, it was a lot quicker in the NFL than it is in the MLB. I think I kind of told you guys this when you were down in spring training, but, um, like, I think you, you develop that by being genuine, being you, being who you are. Um, and then once you have their trust, then they'll open up and that, and then if they see that you can help them, then that's when they, they really take on like what you can offer them. Sure. What was the, so going from uh, two assistant roles in Cleveland and then in San Francisco um, and then actually transitioning into an assistant role once you were with the Cubs. So like what, you know, making that transition from an assistant into a head at the pro level, what are kind of the different roles and responsibilities being from an assistant to a head? And then again, like what was the biggest kind of learning curve or transition into that new role? Um, man, I mean, all as an assistant last year, uh, and, and even in the NFL, like in the NFL as an assistant and an intern, I really had nothing, like nothing to do with programming. Like, so I didn't really get the program hands-on or, um, I watched as like, you know, Adam and, and the strength conditioning coordinators, the high, like the guys with a little bit more experience, uh, would program for certain position groups and stuff like that. But I didn't really have much involvement. Um, I did a lot of the testing, um, strength diagnostic testing and stuff like that, but, um, and, and, and daily readiness monitoring and all that stuff. But, uh, just as far as like programming, I, I hadn't been exposed to it and that's kind of how the NFL is. Um, but then when I got to, to baseball, being the major league assistant last year, um, you know, afforded me the opportunity to, to program for some guys. And it was kind of my first go with that. I'm sure I made some mistakes and, um, you know, but that's how you like learn how to program. I think, you know, you, you got to do it and learn from what you did, right. What you did wrong, what needs to change, what needs to, you know, more or less stay the same. Um, so it kind of, but then now going from the assistant last year to the head, now I'm programming for everybody. So, um, like last year, I just programmed for a couple guys. Um, but now it's everybody. And now I'm, you know, I'm kind of overlooking everyone on the major league roster from a programming standpoint, daily readiness monitoring. Um, I'm looking at budgets. I'm looking at, 
Um, I just have more responsibility. I'm meeting with more people. Uh, I'm meeting with Adam, our director of high performance, much more. Um, our relationship's a little different now because, you know, like he's not so much mentoring me anymore as he is like, just kind of like overlooking me and making sure I don't like fall on my face. Um, and you know, so I think overall, like going from an assistant to, to a head, uh, there's just a lot more responsibility involved and there's a lot more like smaller tasks throughout the day that you really kind of have to hone in on and, and pay attention to because you can get lost and caught up pretty quick and everything that's going on. Um, but it's fun, man. I I've loved it. It's, it's year one. So, um, you know, it's going to be a little chaotic, um, especially not having any prior experience as a head guy. Um, but I think I've handled it really well. Um, the guys are loving the program, um, and, or their programs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway going from an assistant to a head is just all the little things that unless you sit in that chair or unless you have sat in that chair before, you don't know until you actually sit in that chair. When, when you were put into these roles, you know, when you first got asked to walk on at Oregon state, when you got put in your first position as a 22 year old and you were working with grown men, professional athletes, and then now being put into this head role at every one of those steps, has there been a sense of like fear of like, you know, maybe I'm not ready for this, um, or just feeling unprepared. And if you did have that kind of sense of fear, how did you deal with that and, you know, make sure people saw a level of confidence and, and allowed, you know, trust in you and felt like you were prepared? Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely no doubt, um, some fear or, or the whole, like exactly what you said is like, man, if you look at it, I'm not ready for this job. Like on paper, I'm not ready for this job. You know what I mean? I'm three, four years removed from college and like leading uh, an MLB franchise in regards to strength conditioning. So, um, yeah, that, that thought definitely went through my head multiple times. Um, but what brought me kind of back in and gave me that level of confidence was the players, the front office, they all had like a vote of confidence in me. They're like, like, yeah, you're our guy. You know what I mean? Like, you did all the work last year, you know, you built a ton of good relationships with all the players, the front office, like the coaches. And so that kind of like reassured me that like, man, yeah, maybe I'm not, but maybe I'm the right person at the right time for this position. Um, and then that, that's, that was really, this head position was really the only time where I was like, man, like I'm not ready for this. Um, and now like, I'm, I mean, I'm good. Like I, by no means am I like, you know, comfortable, but I'm, I'm glad I took this role and, and I'm, I'm running with it and things are going well. Um, but the other ones, man, honestly, I didn't blink like playing football, uh, going to the Browns. Like those were all like, I was so young. I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. Like I didn't blink. I just full steam ahead. Um, where, like I said, this with the Cubs going from an assistant to a head was, the first time where I kind of pumped the brakes and I was like, I thought a lot about it, you know, um, never did I ever sit there and say like, I'm not ready for this. I, so I'm not going to take the job. It was like, no, I'm taking the job, but I'm all, all things considered. I'm probably not ready for this. So. And with obviously 
at your age, very accomplished, you know, and it seems like every goal that you've set out to accomplish, like you've accomplished it or, you know, gotten very close to where kind of the dream positions are. Do you have a process for um, like setting a vision, like setting goals? Like, did you have it written down somewhere? I want to be director. I want to play college football or was it kind of in the back of your mind? You knew where you wanted to go and you just took action to get there. Yeah. You know what? I I didn't have it written down per se, but, um, in the back of my mind, I always had it like when I was in college, I was like, all right, by the time I'm, you know, 25, I want to be entry level position in college or in the NFL. Like I I thought I was only going to be in the NFL. So, um, and so I had that goal. And then I was like 35, I would like to be a head guy of a franchise some at some time, like somewhere. 35. So those were like my two, that was like my short term and my kind of like my long, longer term goal. Um, but now that I've kind of reached that longer term goal a little earlier, um, it would, uh, you know, I have more of like now, if, if I'm looking at it now, I'm like, okay, at at 35 now, what do I want to, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a director of high performance? Do I, um, you know, does my role as a strength conditioning coach expand to, um, sports science? So am I head of strength conditioning and sports science? Um, and, th- and then another goal for me is like, I want to get my master's still. So, um, cause that's something that like right out of getting my bachelor's, uh, I, I was afforded an opportunity in the NFL. So, and it was just something I couldn't really say no to. Um, so, but now that's another goal of mine too. Um, so, but yeah, everything's just kind of in the back of my mind. I don't have it written down necessarily anywhere, but I remember those two when I was like finishing up my degree, I was like, all right, 25 entry level, 35, 10 years after, hopefully I'm a head guy somewhere. And I thought that was being pretty, like pretty hopeful. A lot of, a lot of head guys are, you know, 40 plus. And I, but I think now you look around and in, in baseball and football, like younger guys are getting, getting a shot, um, you know, at, uh, at head positions. So, which is good to see. Now that you are in that head position and, you know, obviously some of your team in the organization, like as far as the minor league, um, you know, strength coaches and that type of thing are probably have been there, but now that you're able to start building your own team, whether it's, you know, assistance in the MLB, team or at the lower minor league levels like how do you identify talent and like what are you looking for in your new hires um this this last off season uh i hired my assistant um his name's austin smith um he comes from east tennessee state university which is a very prestigious university for uh what we do and and strength conditioning um he's a Doc Stone and, and Meg Stone disciple. Um, he's, he worked with Brad Deweese for two years. Uh, very intelligent. He's working on his PhD right now. So my idea with getting a guy like him was I want to surround myself with someone who's smarter than me. Right. Because I think that's the best way you learn. And with my lack of like higher education, I would say that's something that he has that I didn't. And he's done the research in the lab. He's applied it. Um, so it was a situation where I was like, man, I could really learn a lot from this guy. And he's got, and you have to be a good person, right? 
we look for that too. Like I, I need to be able to trust the guy. He needs to be a good person. He needs to be young and ambitious. Well, not young, but he is young and ambitious. He needs to be um, driven, motivated, like all these things. And, um, and he was very sports science orientated. And that's where like, that's an area where I was not like an expert in. I was very familiar with it with my time in Cleveland. I'd kind of dipped into it last year as the assistant, um, implementing some performance metrics and and data analysis and stuff like that, but on a, on a very novice level, but he was very, very well versed in that area. So it was like another situation where I was like, man, I could learn a lot from him on this too. And I have up to this point and I continue to, but I use him a lot for that, um, for that area of things. Um, so that's kind of what I look for, um, in someone, someone that can like complement my skill set, but also someone that has a completely different skill set that I can learn from, I can take from, but at the same time, like if he has something that, or if I have something that he doesn't have, then he should be able to learn from me. So, um, it's just like a constant learning environment, you know, and if we can learn from each other and sharpen each other, then that's like, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. And I think that's huge. And, you know, just kind of studying successful leaders. I think the best leaders are the ones that, you know, obviously are growing themselves and have an open mindset, but surround themselves with people who are smarter than them, better than them in other areas. Cause it's like the unsuccessful leaders, they want to be like the person, you know, mm-hmm. that, that has all the answers and knows everything. Right. Um, but you know, ultimately it's the most, the most successful people are the one that have the most successful people surrounding them. Right. Um, and ultimately that makes you look even better as a leader. Cause it, you know, raises the whole organization to a, to a new level. Right. And we're a department, we're not individuals, you know what I mean? So like the reflection of both of us is the reflection of the department, you know, and then, uh, and then ultimately we're a reflection of high, high performance, which is five department departments deep. You know what I mean? So like, it's not just about us as a department, it's about us as a team and as like a high performance unit, you know what I mean? So, um, you have to, you have to have good people around you if it, cause if you think you're going to stand out as the head strength conditioning coach and just take all the credit, you're wrong. I mean, that's, you got into it for the wrong reason. You know what I mean? Um, we're behind the scenes people and, and ultimately we're here to serve the players and, and we have to get the best out of ourselves so that we can give the best to the players. Um, and I think like the guy I hired is, is a guy that can get the best out of me and I can get the best out of him. And, and hopefully in turn that that's what we give to our players. Our players is our best. Yeah. And I think that's, I love that you said you're, you know, you're there to serve the players. And it's so easy as a strength and conditioning coach to get caught up in the weight room numbers and get caught up in the, whatever you're doing in the weight room. But at the end of the day, like it's about winning. And when you're, when the Cubs are winning games, like it it sucks to say, but nobody's going to look at the strength staff and be like, you know, there it is. That's, that's, that's how we're winning world series. So how, how do you manage, you know, wanting to get everything that you're wanting to get done in the weight room, but at the end of the day, knowing that baseball and winning games is the absolute priority, you know, like how, how do you find the balance between, between those two things? Man, we, we, we educate our players pretty well too. Um, and we kind of tell them the same thing is like the weight room is a supplement to what you guys do on the field. It's not like, this is not what they pay you for, like to come in here and, and jack weight on the, off the floor. You know what I mean? Like it, 
it is, it should help what you guys do out there. But like, if you're a guy that's playing every day and like we had this situation in the spring where like, there's a couple guys who were literally playing every day. There was no ramp up to start the season. You know what I mean? So like, and they were sitting there like concerned, kind of getting stressed out. Like, Oh, like I'm not getting my lifts in. Like, are you upset with me? And I'm like, no, like let's get it in when you can, when you feel okay. But like, why, why, if, if one of our guys has played four games in a row, seven innings, the last, you know, every game for the last four games, why would I have him come in after that fourth game and try and get a lift in when he's just gassed? Like, and he's got to play tomorrow too. Like it's about finding opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities where, where they are for certain guys. You know what I mean? Some of the big boys, um, they get a day off in between their, 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 uh, their games that they play, but the other guys aren't afforded that opportunity. So it's like, it's individual to each person and we can get what we want to get in. It, it's not going to be the same for every person, right? Nor should, nor should it be because everyone has different workloads um, in spring training and in season. So there's no like one size fits all program for anybody. Um, but they're like, all, what we stress to our players is like, you know, we want you to take ownership and part of this program. And like, we kind of give them like, Hey, what, when do you think's best? for you like what time works out best for you training is it before a game is it after a game like because in, in in the big leagues you can't make these guys do anything like and i think giving ownership to guys for certain things is like big and earning their trust and relationships so we've kind of like taken that approach um but we get what we want in the weight room by programming and all this other stuff but we give them part part ownership in certain things and um if they like a certain exercise or they like to train at a certain time. Then we'll kind of like, you know, incorporate that as we see fit. But, um, that's kind of how we balance things. It's like, it's, it's about, it's about, like you said, it's about winning. It's about producing on the field. And if we win, then like you said, that's all that matters. Like at the end of the day, that's how, like, I mean, it's not really how these organizations make all their money, but like, that's how people keep their jobs, right? Is winning. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's like win, make it happen and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting about your career is you don't hear about a lot of strength coaches who make a switch in sport, right? Like most guys are, in basketball, G League, NBA, and they just travel up like that. Or if you're in NFL, you stay in the NFL, MLB, stay in the MLB. Do you think, so it's kind of a two-part question. Do you think that making that switch gave you an advantage as a coach or has helped your growth in some way? And then obviously working with two different populations, like very different populations in those sports, do you see a, like one, like crossover thing where elite performers are elite when it's football and they're elite when it's baseball. Right. So two questions, like, do you think you, you got growth from working with the two different populations? And then do you see a similarity similarity between the elite football players and the elite baseball players? Yeah, I think I definitely got growth from, from switching sports. I mean, I think the more exposure you get to certain, like different kinds of athletes, the better. Um, but like switching over sports, I got like, 
I had literally hardly any responsibility in the NFL because I was so young and on the bottom of the totem pole to coming up to the major leagues and, you know, boom, being thrusted right in and having a program for guys, um, having to do, like I said, the daily readiness monitoring, um, seeing it, which kind of shows us how, I mean, is this guy ready to train today or, you know, is he trending down in terms of his, um, his jump data, uh, and then what do we do with that? How do we solve that problem? Um, so there was a lot to learn on the fly as that kind of happened. And, and we're doing much more of that now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I've learned a ton and I still am. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm working on projects constantly throughout the week. Um, and it's, it's forced me to learn even at a quicker rate than I would have if I was still in the NFL and down at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, Cause ultimately like my mindset is like, I want to, I want to know more. Like I want to, I want to know everything. Like, and so it's just kind of forced me to just continue to read research and, and, and not for just me, not, not for me, but so I can, like I said earlier, give my best to my guys, to my athletes, cause they deserve that. Um, second question. Uh, what was it again? Do you see, is there a similarity between the best athletes you worked with or the most successful athletes you worked with in the NFL and in the MLB? I mean, yeah, I mean, like there are some similarities, but then there's like in baseball, like you look at guys or you have guys that like really aren't good athletes, like all things considered in terms of like, if you watch them do anything but baseball, you're like, oh my God, like, how is this guy like the best player at his position in all of baseball? Like, cause on the field, he looks do some B skips, right? Like, or even just have him like jump and you're like, did did you get off the ground there, bud? Like it's like, but in, in in the NFL, it's like your best players, especially like skill position players are usually, uh, very athletic, very reactive, very elastic. Um, but they're also very smart. So like Richard Sherman, pretty athletic, not the most athletic dude on the field though. He plays the game with his mind. And that's like when I was there in San Francisco in 2018, like that's what I learned. He is, he's probably the smartest player I've ever been around. Um, defensively, like he can't really rely on his athleticism anymore because he's older and he's had a couple injuries, but he plays the game with his mind. Um, where baseball, I, I mean, in some positions, it's going to take a little bit more athleticism um, or more of those uh, elastic reactive qualities. Um, but for some, I mean, you don't really need it and you wouldn't know that they weren't unless you gave them some sort of performance testing analysis, like, and, and, and they analyze their counter movement jump or their isometric mid thigh pull, whatever it may be that kind of shows those qualities or, or lack of qualities. So um, yeah, there, there's some, some similarities, similarities between elite athletes. Uh, but I would say in baseball, you'd kind of be surprised at how, uh, not unathletic, but just they aren't as athletic as you would think when you watch them play baseball. Yeah. If you, if you saw them walking down the street, you probably wouldn't uh, think they're a professional athlete. No, exactly. That's a good way to put it. We've definitely dealt with a couple guys like that too. For sure. <laughs> Would you say, you know, obviously you're really involved um, 
in your your communities and you know whatever organization you're with and obviously like with the paradise the campfire um you are super involved with um you know raising money for it and helping out in any way you can um now during this covid quarantine like you're doing at home workouts through you know all the cubs platforms and stuff so would you say you have like a bigger mission or a bigger purpose you know, that kind of drives everything you do? Or is it just kind of you like you're a super kind hearted dude and like you just like helping people? Um, I mean, I think with this, like they, they just kind of came to me and like proposed an idea. They didn't really uh, have many expectations for it. They just kind of like threw it out there. And um, I think at the end of the day, like I want to help people. Um, and that's also a reason I got into what I was doing is I wanted to help, you know, athletes achieve their goals or, or help them get there in some fashion. Um, but I think like for me, it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same thing where, like I said earlier, when people, when adversity kind of hits or when you give someone an excuse to not do something, there's that two, two, like the two way street, right? You can go this way or you can go this way. And I feel like a lot of people in this time, will, you know, sit on the couch, feel bad for themselves, uh, not really do much. Um, and it's a reality like across the country that like, you know, but my whole objective behind the workouts was like, don't like, don't have an excuse, just do it, like do something, you know what I mean? And that was like where I like this the whole thing hit and there was no like, Hey, uh, I could just, you know, veer off this way and sit around and do nothing and be lazy. Or I could, no, it was just like, no, how am I going to still do what I want to do? How am I going to get there? How am I going to accomplish that? So like, I guess like that's my, my goal with the workouts is obviously I want to help people and keep them active and keep them fit, but also like show them that there's no, there's no reason or excuse as to why they couldn't be training or doing something you know, getting some sort of activity in. And that just goes back to like what I've been through is like, don't find an excuse, find a way. Yeah. I think I've been having, obviously, you know, it's almost every conversation you have with somebody now involves some talk of, of COVID. And I was talking yesterday with one of my good buddies and, um, it's like this, it sucks. You know, like I can, I can admit that and I can still have a smile on my face, right? Like, I think you can go through adversity in your life and you can still find joy in it. And that's, I think so many people are letting it like freeze them. You know, it's like they're frozen out of fear and it's like, yeah, it sucks. Okay. Now what, like, what, what are you going to do about it? Right. Cause in my opinion, just like you said, there's two ways you can handle it. Like, let's say in another, in a parallel universe, I'm frozen by fear right now. I'm not growing, I'm not learning, I'm not taking the opportunities that are being presented to me. Both people, you know, however long we're in this situation, whether it's a couple months or a year, the time is going to go by, right? It's, it's going to come and it's going to go. And either you make the decision to be positive and make the most of it, or you make the decision to be negative and stay frozen. And if I'm given those two choices, I'm going to be positive. Like, yeah. Other people can handle it the way they want to, but I'm not going to let a situation make me frozen, fearful, depressed. Like, and I think you're a great example of, 
you can go through struggles. Like I didn't even honestly know the adversity that you've gone through and you've gone through some, some tough adversity, right? But it seems like at every time when you had to make that decision to take action and keep moving forward or be frozen by fear and, and by adversity, you've taken that route. And I liked what you said where you said like, I don't even see the other road. No, no, there, there, there is no other road to me. Like I've never seen that. Like even like the, the honestly, the toughest thing that, that, that ever happened to me was losing my mom. It was like, it was like, man, all right. Like now what do I got to do? I got, I got to keep working. I got to keep going to school. Um, and you know, and it was all, obviously I was super motivated to like make her proud. And that was like my only, like I had tunnel vision. Like anytime I've been in those situations, it's been like, I only see like one way. And that's, that's the only way I can describe it is like, like, cause if I sit there and feel bad for myself, like my mentality is like, shit, nobody's going to feel bad for me. Like, except for me. Like eventually people are going to move on with their lives. They're going to stop feeling bad for you. And then what you're going to be trapped in your, your, your little corner by yourself. Like that's the last thing I'd want for myself. Yeah. And I would, um, thinking about a conversation we had with our friend, uh, Ramsey Nijem, who's, you know, was with the Kings and now he's with Kansas. And it's like, you know, he, he was a super young strength coach that, you know, worked his way up to a head position similar to you. And it's like so many parallels between, you know, what you're saying, what he's saying. It's like, it's just tunnel vision. Like, you know what you want. You're going to take every road or like basically do whatever it takes to, to get to that position in ethical ways. Right. Um, but it's like, you don't really even have the thought of like, what is that other road? It's just, this is what I'm focused on. I'm going to do everything I can in my power to, to work my way into those positions. Um, and so it's like not making excuses, not even thinking about like, you know, that other road is just tunnel vision. And what am I going to do to get to what, where I need to get to? Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's what it's in everything else that's like part of that is the consistency persistency being persistent bothering people like that's how you get to where you want to go and that's when i like i have younger strength coaches that reach out to me and ask like how did you get to where you you are now like that's my biggest message to them is like just like don't find an excuse find a way like if someone shoots you down tells you no learn from that experience move on ask again like or like whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's honestly, that's like a big reason why I've gotten and kind of climbed to where I've gotten today. And I'm sure Ramsey could probably say the same thing, you know, with, like you said, him being in a, in a similar situation at such a young age, um, and him having as much success as he's had. Yeah. And I think it's important. I'm reading a book called grit right now. Um, and it's talking about how, just basically how people handle, handle failure. Right. And I think it's important for kids to hear stories like yours, right? Because how the most successful people in the world got to where they got to where they are now is through failure, right? Mm -hmm. So the next time that you fail or somebody doesn't respond to your email or you're sending out 50 emails and you get one response, know that that's that's the road to success like right it's it's not easy and every person that is where you want to be got there through failure but then by overcoming that failure right right and that's 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 exactly it it's 
not just the failure, but how, how did you like, what did you learn from the failure? And then in turn, like, how did you, I mean, how did you learn from it? What did you do to not let that happen again? Um, and I, I kind of like compare it to like, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but like, if you think about a kid who's been silver spoon their whole life, right. Like someone that's literally been handed everything, right. Has, hasn't been through any adversity. Hasn't like, hasn't failed because you know, their parents haven't allowed them to like, how does that usually work out for that person? Like when they have to go out in the real world, real world and get a job and, and, and like, maybe they don't get the job that they apply for. And usually they're, they're used to getting whatever they want. What usually happens? They crawl back in their hole and they pout and they cry and they, you know what I mean? But the kid or the, or the, or the people who, go through that grind, go through the failure, go through the, you know, people telling them no, or people telling them, Hey, you'll never do this. Like those are usually people that come out on the other end, the other end. Right. Um, and, but then that, that comes down to too, is like, how do you respond to those, those critics or that criticism or, or those situations or, or kinds of adversity? Um, I think it's, I think it's a, probably the biggest reason why I'm, why I'm here like why I'm doing what I'm doing and, um, the success that I've had in, in, in basically my four years in professional sport, um, is probably because of what I've, what I've been through and, and how I overcame it. So this is a little bit more kind of on the training side. Um, but like if you're going to give advice to a high school or college athlete or like a parent, um, who may be looking for like an athletic development program in their area, like w- what advice would you give to them when looking at um, different programs and like, how, how would you say programs separate themselves? Um, man, like, honestly, I can, I can see a lot, like what I see on social media, what I hear from people, um, more or less like the kind of training I see and like, does it make sense for the sport and the qualities and the demands of that sport. Um, and then is there, you know, is there progression? Is it general to specific? Like it's, it's hard for me to make a recommendation, but I'll tell you this much. If I knew anybody in the Sacramento area, the first place I'm recommending them to is hyper thrive athletics. I'll tell you that much. Cause there's a lot of stuff that you guys put out there that I take and use for my guys too. And I have no problem admitting that. I, I mean, we we're in a profession where we all take stuff from each other. Um, but it, it had like what, what, what that, that place is doing has to make sense for the, for the athlete, um, and and their, their, their particular sport or their event, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's where you start is like, all right, is there, is there a good, like philosophical approach to training here? Like, um, is there a plan? Is the, is, is, uh, are they organized? Um, and my plan is like, is this laid out properly in terms of, um, you know, what qualities are we training through certain times of the year? How many, how many events does this player have in season? Uh, how many, you know, what's the, um, what's the breakdown of training throughout the week in season? Like there's a lot that kind of goes into it. Um, but I think it's pretty easy to tell if you, uh, check out something online or uh, on social media, you can tell the good places from the bad. Um, and I think you guys would agree with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, the transfer has to be there, uh, 
from the weight room to, to the field. But it's not to say that what we do is specific. Cause I think in no way is it specific to the sport. Like specificity comes from, uh, the sport itself. Um, and I think it's very hard to replicate baseball in a, in a weight room setting. Um, I think there's things that we can do to, to increase certain qualities and, and, um, have certain performance outcomes for these guys, um, on the field. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that's how I can tell, or if I had advice, it's just as long as the, the place has a plan and, um, they're systematic in what they do and they're consistent, um, with their approach and how they, how they train guys and athletes, uh, for certain sports, like that's, that's a, that's a good start for me. Yeah. I guess that would be kind of the first question to ask if you go in somewhere is like, what's your plan? Yeah. And if they don't really, if they can't really present anything, I mean, that's probably a, a tale or a good sign that they might not be a good fit for you. Right. And if they just give you like a cookie cutter program, like a one that they had printed out before you walked in, they're like, Oh yeah, this is our program. It's like, what, how, how would you, how would you know what I need? This is, you already printed this out. You don't even know what sport I play. You don't even know the, the demands of my sport or, is it the in season? Is it off season? Like whatever it may be, like that's, if you walk in the door and that happens, you're probably not in the right, right place. So, and I think there's a lot of places out there that are, you know, more, more interested in taking your money than, than they are for your actual development and performance. So I've, I kind of just got one more question for you. I don't, these guys might have another one. Um, And this is actually a question that, that Joe asks sometimes, but if you could uh, prescribe one habit for the whole world to do for 30 days, what habit would you prescribe? And it could be something simple as far as like just taking, you know, 10 minutes, do some gratitude or whatever the case may be. One habit for 10 minutes a day. Oh, it'd be one habit that the world has to do for 30 days. Oh, for 30 days. Um, man, that's tough. There's a lot. Um, yeah, this, this question kind of stumped me the first time I thought about it. Yeah, I would say, I don't know, for me personally, I think making my bed did a lot for me growing up. So I was, when I was in high school, I had the, uh, I was, you know, fortunate enough to have my mom would wake me up. At like six, I'd get in the shower. As soon as I came out of the shower, my bed's made, right? I never asked her to do that. That's just something she always did. And then I got to college and I was like, damn, I got to do this on my own now. Like, so I started, and I like, it was an OCD thing. Like, I was like, I have to make my bed because like, that's how it was when I was growing up. So I made my bed every morning. I still make my bed every morning. Uh, And it's just a great way to start your day. Like you've accomplished something. Um... And it kind of like leaks over into other parts of your life too, like it throughout certain parts of the day, like, you know, it just kind of holds you more accountable in certain areas of your life. Like where, like I said, in the morning, first thing I got to do is I got to make my bed and I hold myself accountable to that every day. Um, but I think another thing too, for 30 days, a challenge, especially right now is get outside, man. If you can get outside and even just go for a walk or a jog or a run, or if you train, whatever, whatever it may be, maybe, man, I think that can do wonders for your, for your mental health right now too. Um, but also to keep you like physically 
in better shape as opposed to you just sitting on the couch or, or sit inside all day. But, um, that's just for this time uh, when everyone's at home doing nothing and kind of going crazy. Uh, but yeah, I would say make your bed for sure. First thing in the morning. Yeah. I love that. It's, you know, starting your day off with a win and then, you know, just kind of snowballs on top of that. Right. And it's the same, like, it, it just like, that leaked over into me, like doing my dishes right after I was done cooking. Like, and then, so now that's my thing too, is like, I do my dishes right after I'm done cooking or right after I'm done eating. Like it doesn't sit in the, in the, in the sink all night or until the next morning. No, they're done right after. And that's all because of that habit that I formed early on is because like, I could have sat there and gone like, all right, I'll make my bed later when I get home. No, you just do it first thing in the morning. Dang, now so, you put now you're putting me in the hot seat when my wife listens to this she's gonna think i'm gonna do the dishes every day now <laughs> i'm doing them every day now too because i'm staying at my girlfriend's parents house and i feel obligated to contribute like if they're if they're making food i'm like man i gotta do the dishes at least <laughs> i gotta, so, step my you game gotta do up your now. part man yeah <laughs> wait you guys got any other questions or anything on your head honestly i just want to say thank you um for opening up like you did for telling your story. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you've gone through that people, you know, have not gone through that type of adversity. So I appreciate you opening up that story for us and, um, you know, being honest. And, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. Um, and how you handled that adversity. So, I mean, great job. You know, I've, I've always been impressed with you, but I'm even more impressed now that I, have a, a better understanding of your story and, and what you went through to get there. I appreciate it guys. I mean, I always kind of try and use that story or my story um, to kind of motivate people to, to kind of keep going. So if, if any, if, if my situation and the adversity I've been through can help people like that's, that's the most gratifying thing. You know what I mean? So um, ultimately that's why I share my story and um, I'll continue to do so if it can help people. If anybody wants to uh, reach out and touch a base with you, what's the best way to, to get in contact with you? Uh, you can have them email me, man. Um, you guys have my email? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just have them email me. Um, anything really. I mean, um, any, any friend of your guys is a friend of mine. So just let me know. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys listening to this episode of the Strength Roots Podcast. If you want to touch base with us, the best ways you can do to do that is going to be on Instagram at Hyperthrive Athletics. And with that, that's a wrap on this episode of the Strength Roots Podcast. Stay up to date on everything HTA. Follow us now on Instagram at Hyperthrive Athletics.